This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It is the debate they hate. Prominent Democrats running for very important offices all across the country are refusing to debate their opponents. They're either refusing outright or they're saying, yes, I'll debate you uh, the Sunday morning before Election Day at 7 a.m. on a college radio station. No offense to college radio stations, but these people are hiding. They don't want to debate. Number one, they're not probably very good at it. And number two, they have a horrible agenda to defend. Let's start in New York. New York State, Kathy Hochul is making it so difficult. She is avoiding, she is dodging Lee Zeldin, who is ready to debate anywhere, anytime, multiple times. But Kathy Hochul is running away. Same for this Katie Hobbs. Have you heard about her in Arizona? Uh, She's the Secretary of State, right? Uh, She does not want to tangle with Carrie Lake. She accuses her of uh, lying, misinformation. Hey, by the way, so what? Everybody's accusing each other of that. And Fetterman, well, we know why he doesn't want to debate. He can barely talk these days, and that's sad. But uh, look, this is politics. What's really kind of amazing, the media, the mainstream media, are applying hardly any pressure on these candidates to show up and debate. And you'll remember that debates, they are the linchpin of our democracy. Democracy, right? Always said to be hanging in the balance. What about that? Aren't these debates supposed to be very important for our democracy? This debate is important. It's part of our democracy. I think having this debate is really important. Our democracy is the most important thing that we need to fight for. This is such an important part of our democracy. We're talking about voting. And we hope this debate has helped you become a more informed voter. It is my honor to moderate this debate, an important part of our democracy. Mm, You see how important they are? Well, they're probably overrated. Okay, I don't know if a debate has ever changed my mind, but they're interesting political theater. There's some excitement there, and it's become a ritual. We expect them. And the media, like her, they're letting Democrats get away with not debating. Let's start in Arizona. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, Right now, uh, she won't debate. Katie Hobbs, she's afraid of uh, Carrie Lake. And here's, well, here's one of the reasons why. Let me ask you, how has it impacted you personally? What have you learned, specifically learned from the Latino community? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't necessarily uh, think about it that way in those terms. I think um, I really value uh, my relationships across the board with, um, with with different folks, and um, and I learn all the time from from people uh, in my life. My- uh, it was mostly gibberish to me. She couldn't say what she learned from the Latino community after being surrounded by Latinos. Uh, for her entire life. What's going on there? I don't know. I get it. She doesn't want to go up against this uh, 
powerhouse. Let's talk about election deniers. Here's 150 examples of Democrats denying election results. It's okay for Democrats to question elections, but it's not okay for Republicans. It's a crock of BS. Every one of you knows it. We have our freedom of speech, and we're not going to relinquish it to a bunch of fake news propagandists. If you All right. She would be tough to beat in debate, but you got to do it. You have to debate. And here in New York, Lee Zeldin is running to save lives. If this guy doesn't win, people will die. A lot of us firmly believe that. And uh, look, he deserves a chance, doesn't he? I'm working as hard as I possibly can to do my part to save the state. Kathy Hochul's barely working to try to save Kathy Hochul. Ooh, he's so right. Kathy Hochul seems to think she's queen of New York. She's loving it. She's basking it. Look at all this security she has at the horse race. Who's going to bother her at the horse race? What is she afraid of? Look at all those cops, local cops, state cops, federal agents. Um, Very, very silly person. And you know what? The media, they can do what I'm about to do. Use her own words and just badger her into the debate studio. You know, just around the time she became governor, Listen to these empty words we know now. And the promise I make to all New Yorkers, right here and right now, I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Except she'll be a no-show for the debate. How about that? That's a, a year and two months ago or so. And now... The power, the perks, why bother? Why bother? Well, you have to bother. And I'm going to actually share some uh, praise to some Democrats and, of course, the Republicans. Herschel Walker went against uh, Raphael Warnock. They both showed up. Raphael Warnock was there. Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, against uh, this McMullen character, uh, they both were there. It was tough, but they both showed up. J.D. Vance in Ohio against Ryan. Ooh, that was a bloodbath, I believe, J.D. Vance. Uh, totally trounced his opponent, but uh, that's just my opinion. And in Georgia, uh, Brian Kemp against Stacey Abrams. They both showed up. And, ooh, one of my favorite debates of the season, Tudor Dixon versus Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, you know, we don't like Gretchen very much, but she did stand for that debate. And, yes, these debates right now are very intense, uh, more so than I can remember. Other than when Trump said that thing to Hillary Clinton about jail, this is pretty bad. If if I may respond, because he actually lied there. We will see time and time again tonight, as we've already seen, that my opponent has a problem with the truth. You know, these are conspiracies and lies that have no place in our democracy. Mrs. Dixon is either woefully underinformed about the office she's running for or she's lying to you two questions two lies uh from jd all right it's not that intense when i look at it but accusing your opponent of lying it happens all the time now everybody's convinced the other side is lying and one side is doing a lot of lying but uh saying that your opponent was lying used to be oh boy that was fatal to your campaign if you accuse somebody of lying Just look up Bob Dole. Remember him when he was running for president in 1988 against then Vice President George H.W. Bush. This was considered a major gaffe and a big problem for Bob Dole. And he quit the race shortly thereafter. Take a look. And Senator Dole, is there anything you'd like to say to the vice president? Yeah, stop lying about my record. 
Oh, stop lying about my record. I didn't think it was such a big deal. But at the time, the mainstream media lost its mind. That was considered just totally, totally uh, inappropriate. And he lost, of course. So <sighs> times have changed. And folks, we've got a big problem. You ever heard of a Save Our Ship, right? SOS, Save Our Ship. We're going to modify that. SOC, please save our city. And I'm talking about New York City. We have a big problem here. We have an incompetent mayor, totally clueless, and crime is worse than ever before, at least since the 1970s, subway crime. I used to ride the subway every single day. I made the mistake of getting on it yesterday. I uh, I got scared, okay? I'll try it again in a couple of months. It is a very bad scene. Crime is out of control. And we have a mayor who thinks he has all the answers, but I'm telling you, this is a, a guy, he's as dumb as they come. I don't know why people think the response to a problem is allowing someone else to handle the problem. No, I want the problem. I want the problem of the generational dysfunction of Rikers. I want it. I don't want someone else to handle a problem of New York City. The problems that we have, I was elected to resolve them. And so I want the problem of Rikers Island. I want to fix Rikers Island. So all those who are saying that my correction officers are not capable of doing it, all those who are saying, you know, have others come in to handle our education, to handle this, to handle that, to handle that. All I can say to them, don't ever run for mayor because of your solution to solving the problems of this city is to find other people to fix them, then you should never be the mayor of the city of New York. Mayor Adams want the problem because I was elected to fix them. You see what I mean? You see how serious this is? He's a narcissist, he's an egomaniac, and he's dumb. This is a hugely complicated city, hundreds of thousands of employees, like a $40 billion budget, and he doesn't think he needs any help? By the way, take a look at how he dresses, okay? This is the problem with this guy. He thinks he's some sort of emperor. I have never seen, by the way, since 1895, a double-breasted vest, okay? How about that one? Hey, and another thing to remember about uh, Eric Adams, I guess this is to you, Eric Adams. How many votes do you remember getting? Folks, I'll tell you. Eight million people live in New York City. How many do you think he got? Three million, four million, four million, 100,000? How many votes made him, made him the mayor? 3.16%. You know what that is? About 200,000 people voted for Eric Adams. And given our crazy Democrat-ruled city and something called ranked choice voting, presto changeo, he's the mayor. And when did they have election day? The last day of school, June, the end of June on a Tuesday. Nobody was thinking about politics. And this is the guy we got. And he's not even, look, I warned everybody about this guy. They thought he was so impressive the way he walked around. These hands have seen rough times, and I've got the calluses to prove it. Growing up, my parents struggled. I was beaten by police at 15. So I became a police officer to battle racism from within. As Brooklyn Ball president, I worked around the clock to fight against COVID. I'm Eric Adams. I'll be a blue-collar mayor. I'll rebuild our economy while tackling violent crime and bring New York back. 
Tackling violent crime, right? It's out of control. That is up 40% this year since he's been mayor. How did he tackle COVID? He handed out masks. Did you see that? It's all for show. There's no substance here. And even the style. He said blue-collar mayor. Does this look like a blue-collar mayor? Huh? A blue-collar mayor with the glass. I think he wants to be some sort of record executive. That's not a blue-collar guy. No. You know, New York, we've had some great leaders. Mike Bloomberg. And Mike Bloomberg knew he could not do it alone. Mike Bloomberg needed some help. And I'm proud to say that the man on his right was Ray Kelly, my father, the longest serving police commissioner ever. Before Mike Bloomberg, there was another Republican, Rudy Giuliani. And Rudy Giuliani, for all of his talents, reached out to the best and the brightest across the country to make it happen, to take New York back. And now we have an egomaniac in charge, literally. I mean, who walks like that? Who does this? There's something to be said for humility in public life, right? This is supposed to be public service, not an ego trip on our dime. LBJ had a lot of problems. Not my favorite president. He, um, no. But at a key moment, he said the right things. And you know what? When he spoke, he often spoke with humility. I will do my best. That is all I can do. I ask for your help and God's. The night of JFK's death, and he was the new president of the United States, asking for people's help and for that of the Lord. I like that. I'd like to see more of it. All right. Stay with us. Coming up, we will find out what is it that Barack Obama and Kamala Harris really see in Joe Biden? What makes Joe Biden impressive to them? The answer made scare you. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sorry, but Joe Biden is getting weird and gross again. We've already talked to you about this, Joe Biden. You saw it over the weekend, but there's a point I want to make about this that I haven't seen anyone else make. First, the moment. Look at Now, the very important thing I told my daughter and granddaughters, no serious guys in your 30s. Okay. No what? No serious guys in your 30s. What's that all about? What? You see how uncomfortable that poor girl is? You can see it in her eyes. What are you doing? What are you talking about? Leave me alone. Yeah, that's, uh, that's apprehensive. And Joe, why is he lurking in the back? He's the president of the United States, and he's behind everybody. Uh, who's that guy over there? I had a very, very strange. And what is that quote? What did he actually say? No serious guys until you're 30. Now, what does that mean? Is he encouraging these women to remain single and, I guess, 
promiscuous or something like that in their 20s? I mean, what, just enjoy, what, have a hedonistic, what is he getting at? And Joe, it doesn't apply to you, by the way. Uh, your first wedding to your first wife, you were 23 years old, uh, and she was 24. Do you, I, I'm, I know you don't regret this. Of course you don't, right? I mean, and then when you married Jill, let's see, she was 26, you were 34. What is up with your fascination about girls and when they start dating and Sarah did? did no, stop doing it. And you've done it a million times. How old are you? Just remember, no dates till you're 30. <laughs> you're turning 11. You're Just remember, no dates till you're 30. Just remember, 30 years old. No dates till 30. Hey, Mia, how old are you? Just remember, no dates till you're 30 years old. I tell you what, and how old are you? Nine. Nine years old. Only thing I want you girls to remember, no serious guys till you're 30 years old. <laughs> it's really bad advice. I, <laughs> I spent my 20s single, and uh, you know, it wasn't the greatest decision I ever made. Um, I'm telling you. It's, uh, um, strange. Very strange. And then it gets worse. Joe, again, you've been talked to about this, violating people's personal space. This happened today. Look at him. He goes and he grabs this woman. He just met her. Grabbing the shoulders, the face. for It's like two minutes this goes on. It is inappropriate. I don't care. You're not supposed to do this. And you know what? Am I being nitpicky? He moves to the girl right next to her, and he's still very, very touchy. All right? Now watch. Watch. Okay, he's released her hand, but he's about to grab it again and hold on to it while he's saying hi to everybody else. Here he goes. All right. And he doesn't let go as he continues to shake hands with other people like the guy behind and all over the place. It is odd. Now, you'll see the moment where she's like, uh-oh, he's not letting go. Oh, right. This is awkward. This is like something's not right here. He's still holding my hand. Uh, she's nervous. I think, I think, and am I making too big a deal out of this? I actually don't think so. Joe... You have been doing this a long time. You've been called out on it before. Touching people inappropriately. You know, th these are people he just met, okay? Nobody has the right to touch people like this. And when he was vice president, high on his own supply, do you remember he was at an event in Nevada? And the woman was, you don't see it in the, in the, in the picture here, but she says backstage, Joe was ridiculous, sniffing her hair. Let's go back to that day in November 2014. Uh, the, the Vice President Biden has come to Nevada for a campaign event. You're running for lieutenant governor. You're both backstage waiting to go on stage. What happened next? Well, it happened also suddenly. We, it's, you know, anyone who's ever been at a rally recognizes that there is just chaos. There's a lot of energy that everyone's running back and forth. Um, Eva Longoria was there. We were all lined up next to the stage. Eva was in front of me. Joe Biden was behind me. I'm kind of preparing myself to give these remarks. It's the very last days before the election. And uh, very unexpectedly and out of nowhere, I feel Joe Biden put his hands on my shoulders, get up very close to me from behind, lean in, smell my hair, and then plant a slow kiss on the top of my head. Sorry, you can't do it. You can't do that. 
And Joe almost had to quit the race after she came forward. Does anybody remember this? I read the, the uh, op-ed last night, I believe, Lucy Flores. And Joe Biden needs to give an answer. I believe um, Lucy Flores. We need to live in a nation where people can hear her truth. I have no reason not to believe Lucy. And, and I think what this speaks to is the need to fundamentally change the culture of this country. But Joe didn't change, even though he promised everybody he would. So his campaign was imploding. So in Delaware, I don't know, Jill rips out a uh, iPhone and he starts to make an apology. But today I want to talk about gestures of support and encouragement that I've made to women and some men that have made them uncomfortable. And I always tried to be, uh, in my career, I've always tried to make a human connection. That's my responsibility, I think. I shake hands, I hug people, I, I grab men and women by the shoulders and say, you can do this. And, and, uh, and whether they're women, men, young, old, it's, it's the way I've always been. It's the way I've tried to show I care about them and I'm listening. All right. I actually thought that Joe was onto something here. He seemed to be aware that he had made a mistake. Social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. And the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. I get it. I hear what they're saying. I understand it. And I'll be much more mindful. That's my responsibility. My responsibility, and I'll meet it. He gets it. He gets it. It's his responsibility. And I, he says he's going to change. And if anybody says he can't change, they're wrong. But I will be more mindful and respectful of people's personal space. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, but he doesn't learn the lesson. And again, it's unthinkable to Joe Biden that he can't change. Listen to this. I worked my whole life to empower women. I've worked my whole life to prevent abuse. I've written, and, and so the idea that I can't adjust to the fact that personal space is important, more important than it's ever been, is, is, is just not thinkable. I will, I will. It's unthinkable to Joe Biden that he can't change. Three years ago, and he's back to being Joe Biden, okay? saying inappropriate things and getting strangely close to people he does not know. It's wrong, and this is one of the many reasons why I believe he will not be president this time next year. It's just not, this can't last. This cannot last. And one more thing about the ice cream, all right? Enough with the ice cream. Joe has an unhealthy fetish with ice cream, a preoccupation with it, and he's licking his way through every crisis. I mean, remember when the war was going down, we were losing it in Afghanistan. Joe is on summer vacation licking ice cream. And then this weekend, you know, everybody knows the economy is in serious trouble. And there he is, a grown man eating an ice cream cone. I mean, look, I like ice cream, I guess, occasionally, every now and then. I mean, uh, but what is this? Why is this his, uh, his brand? And <laughs> when Kamala Harris became the running mate, she gets briefed by Barack Obama on who this guy is, who you're going to be working with. And what does he say about his former VP to a future VP? Watch. So tell me about Joe. 
and your relationship with Joe and what do I need to know? Like, what's the thing about the ice cream? He loves ice cream. You know, Tell me about well, that. Well, listen, <laughs> ice cream is big. Yeah, it's not it's not so funny anymore. That's all he had to say. He likes ice cream. And he likes spaghetti and he likes the sunglasses because Barack Obama knows what a potentially corrupt guy we have on our hands and a very foolish guy. Barack Obama has a very hard time praising Joe Biden, uh, even when he endorsed him. Here's what he said. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. Choosing Joe to be my vice president was one of the best decisions I ever made, and he became a close friend. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a president right now. He's someone whose own life has taught him how to persevere, how to bounce back when you've been knocked down. When Joe talks with parents who've lost their jobs, we hear the son of a man who once knew the pain of having to tell his children that he'd lost his. That really stood out to me, all right? The most specific he gets is that Joe Biden's father once lost his job in like 1948. And this is how he connects with people who were facing economic hardship because Joe's father in 1948 lost his job. He No, and he doesn't get any more specific than that. And when he's talking to people and he doesn't think he's overheard, or maybe sometimes he does, he really lets loose on Joe. This has been documented. Take a look uh, from an important book about the uh, uh, 20. 2008 campaign. Right up until the moment he rendered his decision as final, Obama kept chuckling, shaking his head and thinking, I can't believe I'm picking Biden. Why? Because everybody knew that he was a dumb blowhard. Next, please. How many times is Biden going to say something stupid? He, Obama, demanded of his advisors on a conference call, a moment at which most people on the call said the candidate Obama was as angry as they ever heard him. So, this is why I believe one of the many reasons why I do think that Obama is still running the country. When he said this to Stephen Colbert, there was something. Look at his eyes at the very end, how he's boasting about being the man behind the scenes controlling the president. This is in November of 2020. If I could make an arrangement where um, I had a I had a, a stand in a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm -hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that. Fine with that. Is it me? Take a look at those eyes. Something's going on there. I think he's boasting. I think he's proud. I think he knows how the administration of Joe Biden is going to go down. Joe is out of it. He's still on top of it, and he is running things. So, uh, moving on to Hunter Biden. Mm, maybe, maybe, just maybe, uh, he's going to be held accountable. Joe gets very prickly when this subject comes up. It almost never comes up. And I notice that a lot of congressional Republicans aren't that aggressive on this issue. Chuck Grassley is, but very few others. Listen to what Joe Biden said to Ron Johnson a ways back. Is there any legitimacy to Senator Johnson's claims? None whatsoever. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman. It's the last ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. Even the man who served with him on that committee 
The former nominee for the Republican Party said there's no basis to this. And the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Ron should be ashamed of himself. Ron should be ashamed of himself. Ron Johnson has nothing to be ashamed of. But I think what Joe is getting at here, the Senate has always been a club. All right. A club. And after you're a senator, what do you do? Huh? After you're a member of Congress, what do you do? You stay associated with that club. You look out for each other and you go to work with each other. Fifty percent of these guys go to what do they become after they leave their jobs on Capitol Hill? They become lobbyists, lobbyists. And when folks call Joe out about the deal with Hunter, obviously Hunter is an extreme, but they've always hooked up their children and their relatives. You can look at any administration and it happens. Uh, let's go through. Well, let's start with the Biden. This is Steve Ricchetti, counselor to the president. All of his children have uh, uh, government jobs. Uh, let's see. As, uh, Jen Psaki, remember her? Did you know her sister works at uh, Health and Human Services? It goes on like this. The chief of staff to uh, Joe Biden has a wife who has a big job over at the State Department. Uh, Bruce Reed, deputy chief of staff. Uh, let's see. Julia Reed, Biden's daily schedule at one point. Jake Sullivan. The incompetent national security adviser who helped lose Afghanistan. Uh, too busy uh, sending resumes of his relatives around. I don't know. Catherine Russell, not familiar with her, but I am familiar with Donalyn. Uh, the Donalyns, uh, that guy is, uh, has a very important job, the brother-in-law. Hey, Republicans, too. Dick Cheney. <laughs> Liz Cheney had all kinds of jobs throughout the Bush, George W. Bush administration. Bill Barr. Look at all the bar daughters who have worked in government positions. What do they do after government? And Mitch McConnell, piece of resistance. Oh, uh, well, uh, my wife is fully qualified to serve as secretary of transportation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a swamp. All right. What do you think, huh? I think we're on to something. Stay with us. The worst guy in the world. Bob Woodward has come out with a new book. He has found a new way to attack Trump. Uh, but we're going to break it wide open. We all know that Russia collusion was a lie. There was no collusion between the Trump campaign and uh, Russia. Zero. Even Mueller had to acknowledge that he did read the report as to how it all started well mr durham has been investigating that and unfortunately he's o for two another guy was just found not guilty his name is uh igor danchenko here he is walking out of court which one is he by the way uh i think uh, uh i don't know one of these guys he's not exactly a household name Igor Danchenko found not guilty by a jury of um, lying to the FBI, which seems pretty extraordinary. He got away with it, or did he? Let's bring in Joe DeGeneva, former U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C., Newsmax contributor. Uh, Joe, welcome. Uh, I don't know. Is John Durham a good attorney or not? I know he is, but what's happening here? I think he decided he wanted to convict both the FBI and Danchenko, and he couldn't do either. So he decided he was going to embarrass the FBI by making them uh, not really a victim, look like they were co-conspirators, and he ended up uh, with the short end of the stick. I think he actually was pleased with the result. 
I, I think he expected the same thing in the other case with Sussman. He wanted to dirty up the FBI, and he dirtied up the FBI in this case. Where, And he also dirtied up Bob Mueller in the cross-examination in this case by showing conclusively that Mueller was either incompetent or he decided he was going to ignore evidence completely just to try and get Trump. So I think Durham, in his own mind, has accomplished his goal, which was to show that the FBI is beyond help, that it's totally corrupt, that its current uh, director, Christopher Wray, cannot possibly fix it, and that there needs to be a new start. Uh, his report will be an afterthought, because what he accomplished through the trial was to show just how bad the FBI was and is and remains to this day. And Donald Trump was right. Everybody said he was crazy. Everybody was saying he's saying it with no evidence. But when he, well, this is one of the many times he said it. He said it to Leslie Stahl. They spied on his campaign. The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign, well, There's Leslie. no real evidence of that. Of course there is. No. It's all over the place. Leslie, Sir, they spied on my campaign and they got I, caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes, and we can't put on things we can't no, verify. You won't put it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied and, on my campaign. Well, we can't verify that. It's been totally that. verified. No. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign, they got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie. And I guess we are seeing it, even though we're not getting convictions. Yes, that's true. And I must say, I've known Leslie for 20 years, 30 years. That was one of her most embarrassing moments. Leslie's not stupid. She knew damn well that the FBI and Bob Mueller and James Comey tried to frame Donald Trump. That was what the whole thing was about. And as far as 60 Minutes can't put stuff on, give me a break. But the bottom line is this. Trump was spied on. They tried to destroy him. Uh, and, and after the election and in between the interregnum, Comey tried to set up the framing by setting up that phony briefing in New York. When all is said and done, uh, Trump was right, uh, but it didn't do him much good because they practically destroyed his presidency by a totally illegal and unconstitutional investigation of him. Uh, if I had been John Durham, I would have indicted the FBI. I would have indicted Comey, a number of FBI officials uh, for conspiring to defraud the United States government of the faithful service of their agents, to uh, conspiring to deny Donald Trump his civil rights and a host of other charges. But he chose not to do that. And that's because Durham is an institutionalist. Um, he believes in those institutions and wants to save them. But now he's come to the conclusion, in order to save the village, you must destroy it. And that's what he did. Those institutions are not in the Constitution. <laughs> I just... Uh, Correct. Yeah, they're all about, they're all about their agencies, uh, not about the people. Joe DeGeneva, I'm so glad that you were not sucked in by the swamp. You <laughs> conquered the swamp. Former U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C. Thank you, sir, very, very much. And we'll be You're right welcome. Back. You bet. I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't. And they're in love with this guy, Bob Woodward. 
And for whatever reason, people talk to him, including President Trump, and he always screws you in the end. Don't talk to Bob Woodward. I've caught him in a million lies, by the way, especially that stuff about Deep Throat. Talk about that some other time. All right. So he's got a bunch of audio tapes uh, sat with Trump. Trump never minds when you record him. And uh, he recorded him. And now they're putting it out there. It's going to be in a big book next week, uh, an audio book. They got a little preview on CNN. And of course, they're overreacting and misreacting. Take a look. This is Donald Trump unvarnished, profane, blunt. Uh, he trashes people he doesn't like. He boasts about himself. And he shares with Woodward documents that you can be sure his national security advisors, their heads were exploding. Okay, wait a second. All right. These are the secret tapes going to be made public. And President Trump is profane, blunt, trashes people he doesn't like and boasts. Wow. I've never seen this side of Donald Trump. Have you? <laughs> what happens next? This is shocking stuff. Starting with those now infamous love letters from Kim Jong-un, you hear him handing them over to Bob Woodward in real time and listen to what he says. Nobody else has them, but I want you to treat them with respect. I haven't understand. And don't say I gave them to you, okay? Okay. I... But I think it's okay. Normally, I wouldn't have given, I wasn't going to give them to Bob, you know. Would you make a photo stat of them or something? No, I dictated them into a tape recorder. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know which part I like better that Trump still talks about, you know, the photostat or that well, Bob is dictating. But, but listen to that one line. Don't say I gave them to you. OK, it's, it's a classic example of, as Woodward says in the audiobook, how casual, how dangerous, how cavalier Trump is with classified documents. D dangerous. <laughs> I, Woodward has been given a scoop. He's been given a scoop. And that happens all the time. The president of the United States, he shared those letters with us. Remember, he talked about those letters with Kim Jong-un. And they're all freaked out somehow. Uh, I saw this happen before. You're supposed to protect your sources, even if it's the president of the United States. Bob Woodward became famous because of that silly book full of all kinds of inaccuracies and exaggerations. Um, all the president's men, which they made into a movie. And everybody who shared information with them, they usually treated them pretty well. Uh, and it happened all the time. Here's a scene from the movie. Dustin Hoffman plays his partner, uh, Carl Bernstein. Do you want to see Mr. Barker's phone records and, and his money records? You told me on the telephone I came down here and showed me everything you got on Barker. That's all I want. Well, that's what I've got. Well, that's fine. Okay, you and I are going to have to have an agreement that you're not going to reveal the source of your information. Have an agreement. You're not going to reveal where you got this. Whatever happened to, I never reveal my sources. I think the president of the United States, somebody somewhere, should cut him some slack. All right? Including the fake news. One more. As an example, this is an exchange when Woodward asked Trump, where do you get your ideas for your speeches? Did somebody help you? 
Yeah, I get I get people. They come up with ideas, but the ideas are mine, Bob. Uh, ideas I, are mine. And Want then, to know something? Everything's mine. Classic Trump. Every everything is is mine. And look, Trump loves it. You hear this over and over. There are certain words. Everything is cool. He loves it when foreign leaders call him tough. And he never stops boasting about how he took on North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. This is supposed to be shocking to us. I find nothing wrong. How he took on, remember when he said fire and fury like you've never seen before? And guess what? We made peace with our enemies. And that is something to be proud of. They said, don't do it. He did it. And the world was at least for a time a safer place. Hey, stay with us. I called the White House today and uh, I pressed record. I'll be right back. So somebody has to uh, ask Joe Biden about Tony Bobolinsky, the laptop. Uh, let's see the crazy stuff with Burisma. I mean, no one has asked him. So I called him up today at the White House. For quality and training purposes, this call may be monitored, but will not be recorded. <laughs> That's what you think. White House. Hi, is there any way I could speak to President Biden, please? You would have to submit a request in writing. Hmm, can I leave a message? You would have to give a ring back tomorrow when the message office is available. Oh, what time does it open? 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. Eastern time. Four hours? Four out. What, what happened at nine to five? Hello? Moment for the information. What? Did they hang up? Thank you for calling. The White House hung up. I couldn't believe it. Four hours. That's taxpayer time. Are you crazy? Four hours. They hung up on me, by the way. I didn't use. I, didn't, I was just surprised. Hey, Everyone's giving Herschel Walker a hard time, and they're always trying to trip him up. This guy is fantastic in handling the media. Uh, watch this exchange on the fake news. Great response from Herschel. And we pressed Walker. Can he work with so Democrats? Ask, can you name one thing that President Biden has done that you support? One thing that he's done that I support. Mm. <sighs> he eat a lot of ice cream. Take a minute and think about oh, it. Is geez. there one uh, thing... It's going to be a while. Well, you know, I agree with one thing, but he didn't do it. When he said he'll be a unifier, we sort of, he wasn't that. He called uh, the opposite side names. It was terrific. That is a great answer. You know, the media, they think, oh, you know, his, his voice isn't one we're accustomed to. We want people to, the substance of what he's saying is gold. Good luck, Herschel. Good luck. All right. Final word when I come back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. 
Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watch us, so can you. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. And this is the final word, two words. Good night. Sorry, we ran out of time. I'll see you tomorrow. Many thanks.